start the thing. Before we start, I'll just tell you what I'm going to be passing around here. Our first topic is going to be coins. Then we'll talk about musical instruments. I'm going to send this around this way and I can go around and hopefully it'll end up back here. We're only going to be talking about the coins that Jesus directly dealt with in the Gospels. There's, of course, hundreds of coins. So I'm going to send you this set. And the first one we're going to talk about is the widow's mite. And that's these two little ones, the little bronze ones. Then we're going to talk about two silver coins, the denarius, the tribute penny. And these are the right size. And then the shekel of Tyre, probably the money Jesus, Judas got. There's another coin here, the Romans put out a lot of coins when they captured Jerusalem. This is a two-sided. You can tell right away that these are fake. How can you tell? They're round. So if anybody's trying to sell you a coin and it's like perfect, right from the mint, they did hammers, so they're usually a little beat up. So you can look at these coins, look at both sides. I'll be explaining the three in the pictures on board. And so in other words, if there's good fake coins, I don't think they're on here because these are in plastic. If there's fake coins, you know, the replicas, nobody's trying to counterfeit them or anything, there's supposed to be a little mint mark on them. So if you see a coin with a little tiny R in the one corner, that means, uh-uh, worth 25 cents, not $250. <laughs> So I'll send these around and you can take a look at them. They do give you the size of the coins. And ancient coins, of course, a lot of them will be somewhat worn. So we'll, you can send it around and then maybe it'll end up over here, hopefully. Okay, so I guess we're ready to start. We'll start with coins. Coins did not exist until about the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, about 500 B.C. Before that, when it says he gave somebody 100 shekels of silver, the shekel was the basic unit of money. Shekel just means a weight. They sent him a shekels. It was usually just a bag of scrap silver. There were little ingots, supposedly one shekel, 10 shekels or whatever. So there were little ingots or bars. But a lot of times it was a bag of scrap silver, broken earrings, pieces of uh, trim from things they had made. Why did they start making coins? Because if you were giving people one ounce of silver, and it was a little ingot, did you trust the people who were giving you one ounce? No, you had to weigh it to see if it was really an ounce. So the coins were for propaganda to make the ruler look great, but the coins were also guaranteed one ounce. Like in the 1800s, they used U.S. silver dollars or U.S. trade dollars a lot of times in trade with the Orient, and so this was a way of doing it. And it was used for propaganda too. We won't be able to talk about all of that. And so uh, the coins were stamped. The government was guaranteeing them it was one ounce of silver. Did that guarantee you that it was really going to be one ounce of silver? Since the government had stamped it, well, of course. You trusted the government 
wouldn't cheat you, right? <laughs> the reason they put rims on the edge of coins later on is people would shave a little bit of silver off the edge, <laughs> so if there's no rim there. Bad rulers would mix a little other stuff with the silver. The trick was, of course, not to mix too much so they catch you. But so coins started about 500 years before Christ. We're just going to talk about three coins, the three that are directly talked about in the Gospels. The widow's mite, the silver denarius, sometimes called the tribute penny. It was a day's wages, so it was more than a penny. And the shekel of tire. So a shekel is a weight. Today Israel calls their coins shekel. And the money was basically silver and bronze. And we'll see a few examples of that as we go along. So shekel just means a weight. So when you got 100 shekels of silver in the Old Testament, you could have gotten a bar, but probably you got a bag. Scrap. How did they make the blanks for coins later? Some of you have done models. You know, you get this strip and there's little plastic things and you break them off. Some of the cheap coins, the bronze ones, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see a little bit of the tag. And then they'd put them down, hammer them. Sometimes they'd be off once in a while, they'd crack them. So if you got 100 shekels of silver, you probably got a bag like this. Or maybe you got an ingot. First one we'll talk about is the widow's mite. The mite is an old English word for a small bronze or copper coin. So that's not a biblical word. In the Bible, in Greek, they're called lepton. The plural is lepta. Sometimes you'll see that. Or they're called pruta in Hebrew. So it's just a tiny thing. It's like a penny. You can't really take values from ancient coins to the present. So I'll talk a little bit more about others' mites, but the one I've picked out to talk about is ones made by Pontius Pilate. Jewish kings and uh, the Herods, pretended they were Jewish kings, and the Roman governors all issued these little bronze coins. The Jews could not issue silver coins. That was reserved for the Romans and cities that the Romans had licensed. So there are no silver coins the Jews issued except when they were revolting. Then they would take the Roman silver coins and they'd put nice pictures of stuff from the temple on them. A lot of times they took Roman coins and they stamped their design over the top. And sometimes you can see the emperor's face under there. Somebody said, well, that was bad workmanship. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that was in your face. Very literally. They didn't mind you seeing that they had stamped their design right on the emperor's face. So there's many stories about coins. We can only do three of them. And I'm going to give you examples of ones issued by Pilate. And you see some letters there. They look like LIS and LIZ and LIH. That's actually the system they were using for dating it. So in the middle, you see a coin where it looks like LIZ. That would be the year 30 AD, which I believe is the year of Christ's death. Some people think it's 33, but I think it's 30 AD. And so here's coins issued by Pilate. And they kind of tell something about the man. There'll be the emperor's name on there and stuff like that. Up on the top, that's like a dipper that was used in heathen religions. Probably an incense burner. 
And the thing that looks like a backwards question mark, that's a Roman fortune teller's wand. It's called an auger, A-U-G-E-R, auger. And here we see exactly who Pilate is, don't we? Of all the Roman governors, the only one that ever put heathen symbols on coins that he was minting in Jerusalem or Caesarea was Pontius Pilate. Only one of all the governors. That was, that was who Pilate was. That was the kind of guy he was. So the L-I-Z there would be the year of Jesus' death if that dating is correct. So many other people also issued these mites. In the Bible, they're called lepta, because that's the Greek word. They're called pruta. So there were lots of mites. We don't have time to talk about them all. They were issued by the Hasmoneans. Remember the Maccabees? They were the rebels that kind of got them free from oppression under the Greek rulers, the Seleucids. That's where Hanukkah comes from. They became the Hasmonean kings. So they were Jewish kings. They were never totally independent. They were always under the Roman thumb a little bit. And they became just rotten kings. Heroic first generation that won freedom. They were real dregs and rejects. When you need money, uh, you want, you're a good writer, you want to write a soap opera, you could write an excellent soap opera on the Hasmoneans. You could write an even better soap opera on the uh, later governors, the Her- especially the Herods, but then some of the governors and the Roman emperors. They'd all be good subjects. The coins are kind of interesting here. They have their titles, their Hebrew names and stuff. They had both Greek names and Hebrew names, just like many Israelis or many people in China also have an English name and a Chinese name. And so the, the writing on there isn't the Hebrew alphabet that was in use at the time, which you see over here. It was the old Hebrew alphabet that people didn't read anymore. They probably could read it, but they didn't. And so it was kind of a way of nationalism. The old, more original Hebrew alphabet was the one that they put on the coins. You notice one thing that they did not do. They never put their faces on the coins. Even Herod didn't do that. Because, you know, they thought no graven images. The king shouldn't put his face on the coin. <laughs> like he's a god or something like that. And so they just get used symbols like cornucopiae, anchors, stuff like that. So the Hasmoneans, how did they get out of power? An unscrupulous, total sleazeball, scumbag came along named Herod. And with the help of his sleazeball scumbag friend, Caesar Augustus, he became the king of the Jews. And so he could, they could issue bronze coins. They were not allowed to do silver. And so these Jewish rulers issued coins with anchors, leaves, palm trees, stuff like that, stuff that was not offensive. So those are the mites of the Hasmoneans, and then the Herods issued coins as well. There are five Herods. Four of them play significant roles in the Bible. The first one called Herod the Great. Think, how did that scumbag ever get called Herod the Great? Because he was the greatest builder of Israel's history, far greater than Solomon. Because he had the big money from the Roman spice trade. So he built the beautiful temple. 
He built the city of Caesarea. He was even building temples in his honor, you know, up in Turkey and all over the place. So he was really a great. How did he become king? Unfortunately, he was allied with Mark Anthony, the lover, husband sort of, of Cleopatra. And so he was on the wrong side of the Civil War. And so Augustus came to talk to, kill all the guys that had been with Mark Anthony. He came to Herod. Um, you know, should I execute you right now or do you want to talk it over a little bit? And he said, well, let's talk it over a little bit. And he says, why should I let, why should I let you stay and be king of the Jews? And he'd say, well, did you ever notice that my fleet never showed up when you were fighting Anthony and Cleopatra? We were delayed by untimely winds and we never got to the battle. That would be one reason you should you show me up, you know, keep me. Another reason is you yourself know that you need a real sleazeball, low-life scumbag to c control things for uh, you out here in the East. And tell me this, where are you going to find a worse low-life scumbag sleazeball than me? Caesar Augustus, being a low-life sleazeball scumbag himself, knew a good sleazeball when he saw one, and he said, okay, you're, you can keep the job. The job's yours, now you got to keep it. And he did manage to keep it. Archelaus took over when Herod died, after the babies of Bethlehem. Didn't amount directly in the Bible stories, except that passing mention. Antipas is the Herod that killed the baby, that uh, killed John the Baptist and was at Jesus' trial. Agrippa I is in Acts 12, where he dies. And Agrippa II is in Paul's trial at the end. So again, they issued harmless silver coins, not silver coins, copper coins, bronze coins, and all of these, the little ones are called mites. They didn't really care much about them. It was just kind of symbolic, you know, if it was exactly the right weight or something, didn't matter. It did somewhat with the other coins, the silver ones. So those are what the mites are. So mite is an English name for the smallest bronze copper coins. No, those are local. Yeah, these are local. In other words, a little different purpose here because the Jewish rulers couldn't put their face on it. The Roman emperors, of course, had no such scruples. So a big function of the coins besides the need for merchant merchandising and stuff was propaganda. They had no choice. That's what they're going to ask Jesus. They're going to ask... No, the Jews had no silver coins, except during revolutions. So they were not allowed to do any silver coins. That was kept for the Romans and somebody that had a license from the Romans. And so the coins were for propaganda purposes. And that propaganda figures in this second one we're going to talk about, sometimes called the silver tribute penny. Well, if you see the size, it's not real big. But it's a day's wages. That's a, it's useless to try to put these in dollars and cents because there's just no way it, it can be meaningful. But it's a day's wages. So in Matthew 22, they're there to trick Jesus. Should we pay tribute to Caesar or not? Not that they cared about it, but they figured this is no win. If Jesus says, yes, we should pay tribute, all the Jews will hate him. 
If he says, no, we shouldn't, the Romans will arrest him. But Jesus answers their question with a question. Let me see the money you used to pay the tax. They hand him one. He says, whose picture is on it? He said, Caesar's. It was Tiberius Caesar at this time. So he said, well, in effect, he said, it kind of seems to me you're using Caesar's money, aren't you? You're in his economy. So if you're using his money, doesn't that mean you're part of his economic system? And of course, they kind of were stumped for an answer. And so Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, the Roman emperors were becoming gods, although a lot of people didn't take it seriously. I'd like to imagine that Jesus looked at two sides of the coin. The front side, he has his title, Caesar, Augustus, and all that. They're usually abbreviations. They're a little hard to follow. So he has a nice, shining picture there. And you can see how the coins are a little crooked. These are actually pretty good ones because they want to sell these for a lot of money. On the back, the nice lady there was his scheming, wicked witch mother, Livia, who finagled to get him into power. He was not Caesar Augustus' son. There was a show some years ago, maybe it turns up on Netflix and that, called I, Claudius. So if you blow all your money that you get from writing your soap opera on the Herods, then write a soap opera on the early emperors of Rome. It has all the, all the necessary ingredients you need for a great soap opera. So she was a real schemer. Well, on the back, it says Pontifex, on that side, abbreviation Maximus. Pontifex Maximus means the chief priest of Rome. Pontifex Maximus. So Tiberius is claiming, I am the head of the government. I'm the divine Augustus. I am the head of all religion, Pontifex Maximus. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I'd like to imagine he flipped the coin over and give to God what is God's. At any rate, Jesus is granting the front side of the coin, but he's denying the back side of the coin. Incidentally, who is the Pontifex Maximus today? The Pope. You'd think he'd be a little embarrassed to pick up the title of the chief priest of heathen religion, but I suppose I figure there's not enough people read Latin that he's not really that worried about it or whatever. So the chief heathen priest of Rome, his title was picked up by the Pontifex Maximus. I don't know why they strange picked that title. Pontifex, Pontifex actually means the chief bridge builder, whether it's the chief bridge builder to the gods or whatever. Probably were. Uh, Cleopatra's coins aren't exactly flattering. And they say of Cleopatra, they, you, know, you know the phrase damning with faint praise, they say her beauty was not entirely in her appearance. <laughs> and so uh, probably they tried to be fairly representative. I suppose they were f fixed up a little bit in that, but they aren't necessarily flattering. So they, they probably are, are portraits. So that's the silver denarius, a day's wages. So when some, they say they gave 300 denarii for something, that would mean about the wages of an average worker for a year. 
So that's the denarius. So anything on the Roman silver coins. The Romans, of course, had gold coins, too. Who? Yeah, they were still good, but why wouldn't they stay in circulation long? Yeah, they'd collect, they, they'd collect all Grandpa's coins, hammer them down a little bit, and, and start over. Same way the Egyptian temples, when a pharaoh came in, he took Grandpa's temple that had the big dedication to Grandpa on the front. He, put, he built a new front wall for the temple. And even with the statues, what did the Romans do? The heads were detachable. So you collected all Grandpa's statues, you know, told, contracted with a guy to make a hundred of heads of you. You collected all Grandpa's statues, got rid of the heads, and pasted your head on. So they were, they were ahead of their time. They were into recycling well before it became cool. So anything about the Roman silver coins, it's a big subject, of course. There's hundreds of Roman coins that are portrayed in various catalogs. You see, I just took, I do have one of these, but I just took this picture out of a coin catalog. So there's lots of coin catalogs. The shekel of Tyre. Shekel is a weight. Tyre was a heathen city. It was Phoenician. The Phoenicians were the last of the Canaanites. And their cousins were out in Carthage. The Carthaginians were the last of the Canaanites. And so this is a Canaanite city. It should have been an Israelite city. They were supposed to take the Canaanites out of there. They never did. In fact, they made commercial dealings with the Canaanites. Well, the shackle of Tyre was kind of what the American silver dollar was in the 1800s. In China, you were doing China trade. You took silver dollars. They even minted special trade silver dollars to use. The Jews could not issue coins. Almost all of the old Bible storybooks are wrong. They say the money changers didn't want to have offensive heathen coins or emperor coins in the temple, so you had to change your coins into good Jewish money to pay the temple. There was no good Jewish money. They couldn't mint silver coins. The shekel of Tyre was the most respected silver coin in that area of the shekel size. And so whose picture is there? That's Melkart. He's a form of Baal. So the story, when you see the coin, the story is a lot more condemning of the temple authorities than the old mistaken story. In other words, they were demanding the most offensive heathen coins to be paid in the temple because that was like the American silver dollar in the 1800s. So you had to change your money into shekels of tire. A half shekel for each person was their annual tax. So that's one reason it's interesting. It's the coin that was paid to the temple. The Tyrian eagle on there, the club probably represents Hercules. So these are the coins the Jewish writers tell us the shekel of tire was the coin that was demanded in the temple. What the sheep merchants and that demanded, I don't know. They probably took whatever they could get. It does appear that the high priest did 
counterfeit these coins. In other words, they couldn't legally make Jerusalem coins. But why get, get to go up to Tyre and get the coins and pay the Phoenicians? It does appear that some of the coins appear to be counterfeited in Jerusalem. So on the side, the money changers and the priests probably were also running a little bit of a counterfeit scam on the side. So the coins tell interesting stories. I have a talk called Money Talks. Because the coins were such a thing of propaganda, they tell many stories. Tell stories also about the Jewish revolts. So there's these three coins that have a direct role, a direct mention in the Gospels, and there were many other coins in circulation. The other ones that you probably would want to look at a little bit, it's the bigger bronze one on there. When the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, that was a really, really big deal. Jerusalem was not that big a city, but they had to make an example of the Jews. So the biggest commemorative issue the Romans ever made was called Judea Capta. Judah captured. And there's the woman Judah sitting under a palm tree. So coins can tell you a lot. They can also tell you, if you test the silver, and it's not all silver anymore, that that emperor was debasing the currency. He couldn't print money. He didn't have the option that they have today of printing more money. He couldn't, he couldn't shave the coins and make them smaller. That would kind of give him away unless he did it very carefully. So what he had to do, he had to lessen the percentage of silver a little bit and hope he wouldn't get caught. Because people, if they put them in water and stuff, they could tell if they were pure silver or not, especially with gold. The copper coins, it was not really worth it probably to counterfeit them. The silver coins, it probably was. Gold coins, it was. And so the story of coins uh, covers quite a bit of territory. So any comments about coins? Just a side translation note. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I recognize a few people here probably started with the King James. I won't name any, but there's probably a few people here, including me, that started with the King James. Well, in the King James, it regularly says that the candlesticks and everything in the temple were brass. Now, why does it say that? Because the translators walked in their church, looked at the candlesticks, and they were brass. And they thought, well, brass is cool, so that's the best. So in the temple, it must have been brass, too. Well, now, of course, ancient things can be tested and test the percentage. And it's clear they were not brass. There was no brass. There was bronze. Bronze is an alloy of copper made with tin and sometimes with arsenic. Copper is too soft. That's why it's used in electrical wiring and stuff. And so copper coins, it probably didn't matter if it was a little mite. Who cares if they wear out? Just stamp them again. But the, the uh, coins were bronze. So metal tests show that things were called bronze. And that, for that reason, in the EHV Bible, when it comes to things, and you have the Hebrew word there, the ore is still called copper ore. But the products were made with, we'll call it enhanced copper which was kind of a problem, because tin isn't real easy to get. Copper and iron, they could get pretty easily. Tin, for making bronze, had to come from a long distance. And so the things were bronze. And so nowadays, sometimes the things where they could only guess before, now you can get an ancient object, you can test it. You can see, is this still 
kind of crummy, brittle iron, or is it approaching steel? You can test it and find out. And bronze is better than iron. Because what's wrong with iron? It's too brittle. So if the other guy has a bronze sword and you have an <coughs> iron sword, this could lead to an embarrassing, deadly situation. Because <laughs> iron breaks. Gradually they learned that by controlling, I think it's the carbon they have to control, they could have something that kind of approached steel. Then iron was better than bronze because he didn't have to go to England or someplace to get the tin. So tests can sometimes be done on a lot of things. So that's the subject of coins and metal. There'd be much more that could be said. So you'll give me like 25 after. We'll see how, how it, and, and topic I'll... Huh? Okay, can we go about 15 minutes yet? Okay, so we'll, we'll go about 15 minutes. <clears throat> okay, we'll talk not about music, that would be a big subject we'd take for a few weeks, but we'll talk about a few of the musical instruments. In the temple they had what we would call an orchestra. Why would we call it an orchestra? Because the base of it was stringed instruments. The trumpets, horns, they were not really part of the... They were used like, more like the church bells. They were used for signaling. They were using, used for fanfares and stuff like that. The orchestras in the church, in the church I'll call it, in the church service, the liturgy, they all were Levites. They were not lay people. Later on in choirs, they could use lay people. But the ones that played the liturgy had to be Levites. And you see, the leader, in every case, the guy that's named as the leader, we have the names a lot, he's, the leader always was a cymbal player. That makes us think the way he led, the way he laid down the tempo and everything, that the cymbal player was the one that was guiding the whole thing. And they had various kinds of stringed instruments. So musical instruments. We're going to talk just about stringed instruments. We're going to talk about the horns or trumpets. There's a really cool name in Hebrew. The one which we usually translate trumpet is called Hatzotzerah. Hatzotzerah, that's the fanfare, the trumpet. So we could translate it trumpet. There's another kind called horn, and that was actually an animal's horn. That wasn't used in the orchestra. That was used for announcing the holidays, like church bells and stuff like that. So you've got a problem. Our trumpet, you've got the bell, you've got the little curly thing, you've got the valve. Their trumpet was just a long straight term tube with a, usually a small bell at the end. So if you translate trumpet, it kind of gives people the idea, but they're not going to have quite the right picture in their mind, are they? So all of these musical instruments are going to be approximations. So a translator has three choices. Hatsotsurah. I could translate it. Hatsotsurah. That isn't going to help anybody very much, is it? I could translate it trumpet, which will give them the right general idea, but not exact. Or I could translate it a long metal tube with a small bell at the end that they blew through to make uh, sounds like the church bells. <clears throat> we decided for trumpet. 
we had, we had three options on the table for us to deal with. We went with trumpet. The shofar is the ram's horn. We always translate that horn. Many Bible translations are kind of loose on the terms trumpet and horn, and you don't really know what's there. But we'll have trumpet for the Hatzot Sarah, and we'll have horn or ram's horn. They use other animals besides sheep for that one. Trumpets, the reason I put in quotation marks, I would call only the bottom ones trumpets. Hatzotzerah, that's what that says in Hebrew there, Hatzotzerah. Most of the ones that we have that are still surviving are in Egypt, in the tombs in Egypt. Horns, shofar, the ram's horn, remember they used them in battle for military signals and stuff like that. The other ones they used as, as uh, kind of like the church bells. We'll see that in a minute. People often wanted to pray when it was the time of the afternoon sacrifice. So they'd sound the trumpet so they'd know it was being done. How do, how do, we, how do we do that? We, we ring the bell when? Traditionally, during the Lord's Prayer. Why did they ring the bell during the Lord's Prayer? Everybody was in the village all around. If you were sick at home, mom was taking care of the kids or something. When the bell rang, you knew that it was the Lord's Prayer. And so at home, you'd stand up and you'd pray the Lord's Prayer. The bell had to be rung 20 minutes. People didn't have watches and everything. In Africa, they hit on a tire iron 20 minutes or so before. The people hear it and they know that service is going to start. We'll kind of get there approximately when it starts. So they were used for signals of different things. That's how the trumpets also were used. Nowadays, the, the Jews use the, the horns mostly for the festivals, like New Year's and stuff like that. They were used for signals in battle, too. When you hear the horns, and then they use them when they went around Jericho and that. So there were horns and metal ones called trumpets. Those were the main ones. Whoops, did I get the wrong button? The trumpets in the temple. This is just an artist's imagination, of course. We don't have any actual surviving trumpets from the temple. No. People used to say they couldn't, I don't, I'm not much a musician, but they say they couldn't play melodies like on the horns with no vowels or anything. And they said, that's dumb. We can do it all the time. And so what they did, they got, for some reason, French horn players are the ones that are better at it. So French horn players can play more things on these. Sometimes it was just a number. One blast, everybody comes to the tabernacle. Two blasts, the leaders come. Three blasts, the first tribe starts marching. Second three blasts, the other tribe starts marching. Then when they're signaling when it's going to stop. So they, they were used mostly for signaling. They weren't used for playing music, per se. Up on the roof of the temple, they would go up there, and like when it was the time of the evening sacrifice, they would sound. So anybody, you know, within trumpet range, all through Jerusalem, they would know, just like somebody watching, um, hearing the bell, church bell would know it was the Lord's Prayer. There's a picture of, it's a man and a woman standing out in the field, maybe you've seen it, and they've got their head bowed, standing out in the field. 
And back up, there's a monastery up on the hill. So what has happened? It's one of the hours of prayer, probably first evening prayer. And so when people, when they heard the bell, they knew that now at the service, the prayers or the sacrifices are being conducted. And if we want to be part of it, even though we're not there, we know that now is the time that it's going on and we can be part of it. Two interesting things in this one. One is, you see, that the color. They've showed you the color. I told you before, temples were painted. Statues were painted. They weren't plain stone. They were painted in color. And there are a few remnants of the painting of the temple. The other interesting thing about it is he knew right where to stand. There was a little sign there that said, here's where you stand when you blow the trumpet. When the Romans came to destroy the temple, they naturally started from the top and threw the top stone down first. So what you'll have down below, you'll have the temple upside down. And when they dug all those stones out, they found the stone that said on it, this is where you stand when you blow the trumpet. The original one, of course, is in the Israel Museum, so people won't steal it. But there's a replica of it there on the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. And so they were used as signals. What about the stringed instruments? There's two kinds called harps and lyres. Again, a lot of Bible translations don't distinguish them. Kind of just throw something out. But there is a difference between them. In the Bible, the instruments are called kenor. Kenor is what David played. And one is called navel, which is a little bigger. So some of them apparently are harps, and some of them are apparently lyres. Well, what's the difference? David didn't play a harp very likely. He played a lyre. He played a kenor. A harp has three sides. One side can be open, so it's like a bowl. But you see there's three sides. A lyre has four sides. And they, they, of course, have sound boxes. There could be different sizes of them. Lyres were generally portable. They were carried. Harps could be big, but harps could also be small. And they were used throughout the Eastern Mediterranean world. Some examples of lyres, these aren't all necessarily Israel. The Qatari is a late one. Lyre. Lyra, the Greeks sometimes made them out of tortoise shells. So they were small instruments. They had different numbers of strings. But you see, all of these have four sides. So no matter how big they are, no matter what they're made of, they all are lyres. The Greek word for lyre is katara. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah. Katara is Greek, is Spanish, English guitar. So the closest thing to what David played as far as function would be like guitar, something people can carry around and play. Uh, years ago, in ancient times when I was young, <laughs> organs were about the only instrument we used in church. So they started using guitars in church, and some people thought, Pastor, why are you using guitars in church? And the pastor could say, well, in Revelation it says the angels in heaven all play, are going to play guitars for all eternity, so I'm trying to get you in practice. So you'll, so you'll be ready for it when, when you get to heaven. Maybe they'll have an organ there, maybe they won't, but we know they'll have guitars in heaven. Just examples of ancient lyres. And there are some that are found, they try to restore. The strings are usually rotted away in that. The one before, that would be the time of Joseph's brothers. 
the time of the kings of Israel would be like the Assyrian one. And we know that some of the royal family also played them. This is Madonna's lyre. Actually, her name is Ma'adana. So her Hebrew name is, there's an ayin in there if you know Hebrew. So her name is Ma'adana, the daughter of the king. She was kind of proud of her lyre and her musical ability, apparently. So on a seal, she had her name, Ma'adana, daughter of the king, Batamelech. And then she had a picture, the rose there, that was a symbol of the royal family of Judah that was stamped on different things. So this is Madonna's lyre. And you see a reproduction of the seal. Again, it's the archaic Hebrew. The first line is Ma'adana, and Bathamelech, daughter of the king, is the second line. So these are the main musical instruments, tambourines or hand drums. We use hand drums rather than tambourines. Why? Because all the pictures we have from ancient times are always hand drums, not tambourines. Tambourine can be hollow. It doesn't have to have a head. You, you shake it. A hand drum, you strike it. And all the pictures are hand drums. So we generally say that women had their hand drums. Or we just say maybe drums to uh, deal with it. I keep getting the wrong button here. I'm standing too close. These are examples of pictures. The Hebrew word is tov. Now, there's two possibilities. I can't prove definitively that that's a hand drum. She could be beating on a loaf of bread, possibly. But I think it's more plausible to say she's beating on a drum than to say she's playing on a loaf of bread. So I can't prove that that's a hand drum. But I, I maybe can't even prove it beyond, I think I probably can prove it not beyond any doubt, but I probably can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt <laughs> that those are hand drums. Yeah, membranes, yeah. There were drums around. This is an Assyrian guy, but they were not used by the Israelites in their ceremonies. And they also used rattlers and stuff like that. Those were not used in the temple liturgy. Those were used in the processions going up. They were used at the the feasts, and stuff like that. What time is it? 22. It's 22. Should we stop here and start with the priests next time? Okay, so we'll, st we'll go with priests next time. I'll come back and give you a little more chance for a question. We'll talk about houses. We'll talk about towns and cities. We'll talk about city gates, and we'll see if that gets us to the end or not. So any questions on the topics that we covered today? Well, do you know what the weight would be for a shekel nowadays? What would be what? What the weight nowadays would be for a shekel? Well, they just use it as a name. They just use it as a name. In other words, they, they, the coins are chintzy metal. So the shekel is just a name. The shekel was, well, you saw how big it was. How big it was. That's the size of a shekel. And now it's just a symbolic name. They had a currency before that called agarot, which was pieces of silver. It was so debased, they had to do a new one. And they said, why don't we make our new currency? We'll call it the shekel. And everybody will th actually think it's good money. And it's really cool. It's like our coins. There really is no significant metallic value to them. That's only symbolic. 
So the shekel isn't used as a weight in Israel. Israel uses the metric system. I thought I saw another hand. Yes, what? A lute is a stringed instrument like Luther played. It's, 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 it's more in the guitar banjo family. At least that's what it's believed. Uh, in, the, in the long PowerPoint, I have, the, I have other ones besides these kind, or the kind that were used in Egypt and that. A lot of the pictures come from Egypt. So it's, that's the trouble with musical instruments. Often they don't exactly correspond their trumpet isn't quite the same bar. In, Roman, in, Rome, in Latin, I think the word tuba means trumpet. And we've used it for a different thing. So translations usually are not an exact match. Luther played the lute. That's why it's kind of famous. And again, it probably isn't always the same. You saw those katara. They're all over the map as far as how they look. So the words become international, and they just vary around. But you could say that they kind of functioned. The lyres, what would be the modern equivalent? The bass instrument of the orchestra. Be the violin, wouldn't it? Maybe the navel would be like the cello or something like that. So it would be the equivalent, not the shape of, but it would be the equivalent of a violin. And the small lyre equivalent. It functioned the way a guitar would. A shepherd boy wouldn't carry a lyre today. He might carry a, a guitar with him. Okay, any question on that? You know what we'll be covering next week. Okay, we'll close with prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you bless your people Israel with the music to worship you and that you provide us great freedom in choosing music to worship you in the ways that will best express our praise and our joy. And as you provided for them, and for their finances through the money that you provided for them, for them to earn their daily bread, we thank you that you also provide for us. And we see that their life, though the details are different, are pretty much the same as ours, and your blessings are the same as well. Help us appreciate and enjoy these blessings that you gave to them so they could send the Bible to us and the blessings you also give to us. Amen. Okay, if anybody has a question, I'll be packing my gear up here. You can come up and Ask it if you think not, might not remember it till next week. <laughs>